On this episode of Cinema Smorgasbord Presents, Bartell Me Something Good, we'll be taking a look at Paul Bartell's 1984 screwball comedy about yellow journalism, not for publication. You're the cat's meow. Meow. I mean, you need neater than a cheetah. Rawr. You are the feline to whom I'd make a beeline immediately. Cause baby, you bring out the beast in me. Welcome back to another edition of Bartell Me Something Good, a podcast about the life and work of actor and filmmaker Paul Bartell. I'm your host, Adriana Gober, and I'm joined once again by my Bartell casting comrades, Liam O'Donnell and Doug Tilly. How are you guys doing? Uh, Liam, I'll start with you because I know that you've really been going through it lately. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I won't bore everyone with the details, but basically I had COVID and then I got better. But sometimes when you are on Paxlovid, you get better and then the COVID comes back. Now, if you're a lucky asshole like the president, uh, then it comes back and you don't have any symptoms. But not me. It came back and I'm sick again. And I felt like such a fucking champion when I got over COVID in like four days. And I was like, yeah, I'm the fucking man. Look at me. I beat it. I beat that motherfucker that now that I'm sick again, I feel just kind of defeated. But I'm excited to record with y'all. Liam, don't you wish you had gotten vaccinated at this point instead of railing against the whole thing? Oh, idea? my God. I hate you so much. I've been so bad. I mean, this is the thing, right? Like, I, I you know, f- fuck all those anti-vax people. Uh, but, like, my, my fear thought is, God damn, what if I wasn't, like, you know, boosted out the wazoo? What would my body have done with this? You know what I mean? Like, how sick could I have gotten? Like, it's kind of terrifying. But to be fair, like, I, you know, I have asthma, so... I could be in a hospital right now on a ventilator like that. That's how bad it can get. So the fact that I'm just tired and snotty, I'm still really thankful because it could be so much worse. But it's just been so long, like, you know, being sick and then being well for literally a full week. I just was fine. And then it's like, nope, it came back. Now you have it again. That's it was just disheartening, let's say. Well, I feel great, Liam. I feel <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> I can take on the world. That's how I feel right now. Uh, <laughs> maybe I have I, all the I, energy that you don't have, Liam, at the moment. But I did fair. get. I was sick a couple weeks ago. It, it was not COVID, thankfully, but it was the first time I had felt ill since I had COVID in May of last year. Uh, so I was very upset about the fact that I was, and I was not good about it. I I was very whiny, and I very much kept to myself. But I I, I bounced back, Liam, and I'm hoping that you'll bounce back in a similar way to me, Doug Tillett. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, today's episode is going to be focusing on Bartel's 1984 film, Not for Publication, which is not one of his better known films. And that, there might be a reason for that. We'll, uh, we'll dig into that soon. Um, but, but before we talk about the movie, um, I wanted to talk a bit about a recent Bartel discovery that I made. So Something Weird video um, on their YouTube page, they... Uh, several years ago, they uploaded every episode of their USA network show, Real Wild Cinema. And I thought I had seen every episode, uh, but apparently not, because um, the other day I discovered there's a few on YouTube that I hadn't seen, and one of them features Paul Bartell, and I had no idea he was ever on the show. Um, Adrian, can you explain to people who might not know what Real Wild Cinema was? Yeah, that, uh, sure. So, Real Wild Cinema was... Uh, like, in the mid-90s, Something Weird Video teamed up with uh, the USA Network uh, to do this clip show where they highlighted 
um, you know, different titles in the Something Weird catalog. And it was hosted by Sandra Bernhardt. Uh, and basically, like, this was my monster vision. You know, they were they were pretty different shows in some respects in terms of, like, how they were structured. But, you know, it was, like, the host talking about, you know, these various films. And there would be, um, you know, guests, uh, like, interview segments featuring, uh, you know, various icons of cult cinema. So, you know, Herschel Gordon-Lewis was on, Russ Meyer, Teresa Tana, um... I mean, who else? Lloyd Kaufman. Um, and so, and every episode had a general theme. So the Bartell, the episode that Bartell is on is all about, it's like focused on um, like ape films. <laughs> which I thought it was an interesting choice to have him as a guest for that. <laughs> but as it turns choice. out, he's quite knowledgeable about <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> um, so in in this episode... Well, first of all, I could watch him and Sandra Bernhardt just, like, riff back and forth for, like, hours. Um, it seems like the most obvious thing in the world that they would have gotten along sure so well. But when you see them together, it's like, like every time the segment, because there's only really two segments, right? Two little uh, interview right. segments. I wish we had an hour of them chatting. It's just so great to see. Yeah, I mean, you can see that they have a real connection. <laughs> Start pounding your chest in excitement. Tonight's special guest with me is Paul Bartell. Hey, Paul. Hey, How Sandra. are you, sweetie? I'm great. Why so many films about apes? What's your take on it? Well, you know, <clears throat> since the very beginning of cinema, horror films have been popular. And the villains in them have changed from time to time. You know, aliens were popular for a while. Uh, back in the 20s, it was businessmen. And businessmen were then replaced by apes, who in the 40s would re be replaced by Nazis. But <laughs> apes represented sex. In the 30s, there were a lot of things you couldn't show. But apes were untamed animal instinct. Right. And they were a constant threat uh, throughout the world to white virgins. So. Um, at one point in this interview, he discusses a project that he was developing that I had never heard of, and I'm, I'm pretty sure n neither of you had as well, because we were talking about this before we recorded. Um, but it was called Modern Marriage, and he describes it as the story about a gay man and a straight man who are roommates, and they're dealing with a lot of uh, the same problems in their respective romantic relationships. And it sounds like such a great concept um, that, you know, it's really a shame that nothing ever really came of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun to think that there's the script is I hopefully it still exists out there in some form. Maybe it could still be available at some point. Something I wouldn't have minded asking if, if we knew about it previously, Alan Tumayan about. It. I mean, we had that wonderful interview. We had so much insight. I wonder if he was still working on it, even because I think this clip is from around 1994, 1990. Yeah, around like it would have been like 90, 96. I think. 96. So I mean, I mean, that's talk, talk about it. Uh, you can see why it would be a movie that would be hard to find funding at that time period. It feels very much right. ahead of its time. But boy, it really feels like it's in his wheelhouse as well. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it, that our listeners check this out. And there's there's a great moment where Bartel starts eating a banana. Yeah. And then it's they just so, exchange a bunch so of banana-related innuendo. <laughs> it's irresistible, Adriana. All of this talk of apes and you just had to have a banana. Mm. Oh, honey. <laughs> They're irresistible, if I, you know what I mean. <laughs> I do, and they're not. Um, uh, wow. 
as I said before, you, it makes sense that they would have had a good chemistry. I wonder if there's any other content out there where Sandra Bernard and uh, and Paul Bartel are together. I'd love to get well, her thoughts. Well, there is. There's. Oh. I mean, it's not. It's it's brief, but in the Sesame Street movie, follow that bird. Yes, yes, yes. They are in a scene together where, like, there's a there's a scene in um I think it's a diner, and Paul Bartel is the chef, and Sandra Bernhardt is an irate waitress, and uh yeah they have they don't I don't think they have any like they don't exchange dialogue, but they're in they're in the scene together. Well, we we need to work on getting Sandra on this podcast so we can talk to her about Paul Bartel. <laughs> I think that's right. I think that's right. <laughs> Man, what a missed opportunity for them to have their own just chat show. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, she um, has she had a talk. She had like two talk shows. Oh yes, but I mean, with the two of them together, I think would have been a lot of yeah. fun. You he could have been I mean? her Ed McMahon on the show, right? That wouldn't that have been great? <laughs> <laughs> Alas, well, uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be talking about not for publication. How long do you keep these girls? 10,000 days. Or until they die. When it comes to the animal urge, no one can equal mine. Lady, relax. All we want is your watch. No one's gonna rape you. Get away from me, you. I want him to not rape me. Barry, let's skip to the end. Not now, Lois. This is my big solo. Come back here! I tell you, I cut you up! A tabloid reporter and her new photographer, who've recently started working for the mayor of New York City, stumble upon evidence of conspiracy and political corruption that may involve their beloved mayor. It's 1984's Not for Publication, directed by Paul Bartel, with a screenplay by Bartel and John Meyer, edited by friend of the show Alan Tumayan, with cinematography by George Turrell and music by John Meyer. So Not for Publication stars Nancy Allen and David Naughton, with a supporting cast that includes Alan Rosenberg, Alice Ghostly, Cork Hubbard, Lawrence Luckinville, Barry Denon, uh, and you know various other bit roles that I'm sure we'll we'll get into. Uh, but those are the major players. Do either of you want to take a crack at giving a brief plot synopsis? I mean, we got a little bit of that already, but just so people kind of have. Yeah, I'll do it. Idea. No worries. Like, okay. Yeah, so we have Nancy Allen as the star. She's a reporter, and she works for like a uh, a rag, uh, a tabloid, basically. And uh, it ba- does not like working for it, but I guess her father ran it previously. She wants to uh, make it more legitimate, and she also works uh, for the mayor of New York City at the exact same time. I guess as her day job, uh, and um, under she's two different to, names too. Uh, under two different names, that's exactly right. She's she's doing it kind of surreptitiously. Um, the the yellow journalism part of it. And uh, so she uh, ends up becoming the mayor's assistant. And at the same time, uh, she needs to get a new photographer for her work at night. She ends up finding David Naughton, who is a bird photographer at the time. She interviews a few people for the job. And that is what kind of 
sets things into motion. Uh, she uh, develops her relationship with the mayor while at the same time trying to cover the stories of corruption that she's discovering and also trying to stop the mayor from cracking down on tabloids like the very newspaper that she works for. But who knew? It's so surprising to find out that the mayor is actually involved with the exact same thing that she's trying to investigate in the, in the evenings. Twist. What a twist. Let's just start off with some of our general thoughts and impressions on the film. What did you guys make of this movie? Liam, I'll start with you. When it <laughs> it's 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 hard because when it first got going, um I I was really on board because it it starts off in a way where I felt like it was ridiculous, right? We st- we right. S- so we start off Nancy. At, well, I don't know if this is exactly where we start, but in my brain, we start with Nancy Allen running with this guy who has these bikini women who are trying to shoot him. Is that where yeah. we start? Right? Yeah. Is that right? Basically, yeah. And it felt so over the top, right? Like such a strange way to start this movie, and in a world that felt very much like a like a weird. A uh, mirror image of something that's real, like yeah, you know, uh, scumbag producer has these women uh, doing something for him that's very salacious, and then turns out he's trying to work as like a uh, um, uh, a pimp, I guess, right? Yeah, like he's trying absolutely. to sell sell their their them as sex workers, um, and and they're turning on him. That all doesn't feel that crazy. It's the chasing him with the guns while she yeah. runs along trying to get an interview for the paper. That's where it's like, okay, we're doing something real silly here. Um, and that kind of put me in a great mood, honestly. Like, I was just like, fuck yeah, this yeah. is what we're doing. This is so great. Uh, but I, it's not that the movie loses steam. Like, it goes. But it seems unsure sometimes what exactly the vibe is whether we're going the tone is very uneven i think yeah it's like what is the sense of reality that we have here the fact that she writes all her articles in a in a fake milk truck pulled by a convertible a fancy convertible that's very silly but then at other times it feels like the movie is trending again not serious but there's a difference between a comedy that's just kind of a screwball comedy. Like it has short moments of abstract or not abstract, but like a surreal funny stuff and a movie that's like full on insane. None of this is the real world. It's a, it's a, it's a fun house mirror of the real world. And so I, I felt like the movie couldn't figure out where it wanted to go, which sort of I that I felt unsettled like how much of this should I be taking seriously how real is the world that we're in are there consequences in this world um and then there are things like you know I I generally like David Naughton um but I thought he to me he felt off in this movie like he doesn't have any chemistry with Nancy Allen at all like they don't seem to connect at all but even as a character like the most interesting thing about him in my mind was this weird relationship with his mother. And they come back to that joke so much that that started to feel, I don't know, kind of, kind of tired to me personally. Um, And throughout the movie, there are various gags that I thought were interesting and kind of worked, but towards the end of the movie, uh, I didn't feel like the Nancy Allen character kind of loses her way because of the mayor, which like, 
the mayor, how is the mayor actually interesting to anyone? Like he, it, I felt like one one of the places where the movie doesn't work for me is the mayor. Though there are funny parts with the mayor, it's like he's irresponsible but endearing. But then he's a scumbag. Then he's like the villain. But then it's like okay at the end. Like it 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 just felt like we were going a lot of different directions. And in the end. I didn't feel like I understood what the movie was trying to say, which isn't to suggest that a screwball comedy needs to say anything, but the movie deals so much with like politics that feel mm-hmm. reflective of the world. Right. And it's coming directly after eating Raul, a movie that is ridiculous, but also is kind of poking at certain things. You know, it has certain ideas in its mind and this movie ended and I'm like, I don't know what, what this movie's trying to say and not all the jokes land let alone the human the human drama is like the least effective part of the movie for me and then some of the jokes are funny and some of the jokes just don't go anywhere and then by the time the movie's over i'm kind of like i'm not sure what the point of the movie is so i didn't hate it but i understand why it didn't go over well with the public because after a movie like eating raul which is again very silly but seems to have a perspective this movie probably came across like what are we doing here? Like, what what what's the point of this? Uh, as well as just not being as like, I mean, honestly, as compelling. I didn't find Nancy Allen or David Naughton. And again, this isn't necessarily about their performance. It could just be the script. But whatever the reason is, neither one of them I really felt connected with. Um, I really thought Otto was one of the most endearing parts of the movie, and he's not in it as much as they are. So I I don't know. I I I I really wanted to be into this because the direction it was going i thought was really interesting and then i felt ultimately pretty disappointed by it see i did find nancy allen's character compelling but only up to a certain point because and you touched on this and we'll talk about this in detail later but there is a shift in her character towards the end of the film that i think makes no sense and completely undermines like everything that we know about her up to that point um but you know uh first before we start you know, we before we talk um, about that more in depth, I want to hear from Doug. Um, Doug, what did you think of this movie? Do you uh, are you kind of on the same page as Liam and I? Or I think it's a really important to mention that this is Paul Bartel's most expensive movie up to this point. Oh yes, it had a budget and, of two point five million, and with stars, right? I mean, he has Nancy Allen at that point was you know this is after I think Dress to Kill, right? So I mean she she was a well known actor. This is after American Wolf in London, so David Naughton was somewhat recognizable. The, the, you know, this is an attempt to make a more mainstream version of a Paul Bartel movie. And you can kind of see how he's taking the same concept. Maybe concept's not the right word. What I should say is the same structure or the same idea behind Eating Raul, which is you take these two characters who are not necessarily normal, but, but you know, recognizable in the reality that we exist. And then putting them in situations with these wild characters. They'll run into David Naughton's mother, who is, you know, she talks to spirits and she, she's, you know, she's supposed to be very funny and out there. And they run into Barry Denon's character and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's supposed to be a series of wild, funny characters. The thing that differentiates this from Eating Raul is that a lot of the characters in this movie are not very funny. They just aren't. Like, they. it seems to think that Trovo Grosso, their boss at the paper, is hilarious because he just eats nonstop and they edit in him burping and things like that. But he's just like a really unpleasant character. And it just made me wonder every time that Nancy Allen was with him and he is being so unpleasant, A, 
why does she care so much about the paper? I know it's explained because her father was involved with it. But, like, why doesn't she just get a job at a regular paper? Does it ever explain why she can't do that necessarily? Well, I mean, we I know why. I think it's the, yeah, Please. the connection with her father is the key thing is that, you know, her father was a Pulitzer Prize winning photojournalist and he used to run this newspaper. So there there is, like, that family legacy aspect to it that she wants to live up to her, her father's legacy I mean, she, she still changes the name of the fucking paper at the end anyway just going back to my general thoughts on it i watched his girl friday recently uh the howard hawks film you know classic screwball comedy and yeah this movie is supposed to be a throwback movie to a certain extent obviously with modern elements yeah. but you know inspired ostensibly by mr deeds goes to town but just generally the screwball comedy movies of the 1930s and, and like classic hollywood musicals because there is a big musical number in this movie which yeah i'm sure we'll talk a about. really bad musical number yeah. in this movie <laughs> And, yeah. and I mean, it's it that t- slows the movie to a crawl, makes anyone watching. It's like, well, that's not very clever and it's not funny. So what are and we? And also, why do a bunch of like kinksters at an orgy, why would they want to be watching that? Yeah. I, the, the furry aspect is something that we'll talk about it in just a little bit as well. But just going back to His Girl Friday and what makes a great screwball comedy. I mean, it lives and dies by the chemistry of its leads. Right. I mean, this movie, the thing that really hurts it is that Nancy Allen and David Naughton have no chemistry at all together. And the yeah. idea that they're falling in some sort of love throughout it, that never comes across. We always know that she has this big secret of the fact that she works at this uh, tabloid and he doesn't know about it. And when it comes out that he's going to be really angry about it. But even that doesn't play because it's it's held off until like the very end of the movie. So that's like the other part that doesn't work is even if they didn't have great chemistry. If the dialogue was really sharp, which is the other element that defines screwball comedy, then that would probably still be okay. But the fact is, it's just a really weak script. Their interplay isn't fun. It's not rapid fire. It's not clever. So you have these two characters that are just kind of these empty suits walking around, getting into these situations and and encountering all these wild characters. And as Liam was saying, in the background, there's this political statement that is obviously being made. And the movie, I think, is best when it's being, when it's kind of foregoing morality, where it's where it feels a little bit like eating rail, where it's just like the fact that this person is doing something ostensibly evil or criminal. Maybe there's a good reason for it. Maybe it's okay. And the fact that the movie kind of comes down on that at the end, it's just like, look, it doesn't matter. And this is a big spoiler for the movie. It doesn't matter that the mayor tries to kill our two leads. He still, his motivation isn't necessarily bad. So we're not going to punish him. We're in fact we're not only not going to punish him. He's going to get reelected, and he's going to marry the two leads. That is the most Paul Bartel thing about this entire movie, and it's also the thing that I liked most about it. I guess what I'm really saying is, everything that doesn't feel like what we've watched so far in this series is are the things that I hate most about this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, while while when it feels that it's trying to be somewhat transgressive and it's trying to cut through some of the cliches of this kind of of movie, that's when it feels more interesting to me. But it's going to it, – it just can't overcome the fact that the two leads just don't feel like they're in the same movie. I want to agree with you, Doug. I just, I'll disagree just a little bit only in that that ending didn't quite work as well for me only because the movie – I needed more from the movie to suggest that um, maybe what the mayor was doing really wasn't that bad and that this turn of – the ending being like, well, as long as we're okay and we have jobs and we're going to get married and we're going to be in love, then it doesn't matter what the mayor did. If that was more of a, 
it, it came across to me. No, like, you're exactly right, Liam. It's the right ending for a different movie. Right. right? It, it doesn't. I need it more doesn't. In the movie it to it get isn't justified that, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. movie. I just feel like it's so funny that like literally it's 15 minutes after the mayor tries to kill them. Right. He basically yes. sits them down. And is like. Okay, you survived. Let's make a deal. And that's what they do. They just make a fucking deal with them. <laughs> I mean, I think that could have worked, too, if there was more suggestion in the movie itself that maybe our heroes were wrong, right? Like, that could have been a fun – I don't want to rewrite the movie for Paul Bartel. That's not what Actually, I'm Actually, this is something – I know that I'm, – again, I'm not the host here, but I have a question for the both of you, which is something I was wondering the entire movie, which is – are we supposed to like Mayor Franklin? Is he a scumbag or are we supposed to like him? I was because wondering this too. The movie spends a no lot idea. of time with him, right? We see him jerk off in the shower. We see him, you know, he's supposed to be likable, but he's also trying to like get Nancy Allen's pants the entire movie. I think we're supposed to like that as well. They end up having sex and, you know, she feels conflicted after he tries to kill her, but it's there's not a sense that it's trying to condemn him in any way. His seduction of her feels so rooted in distracting her from the mystery of the movie that it makes him seem like a scumbag right but technically him hitting on her prior when she's his employee yeah, assistant absolutely. yeah that is also not cool and i don't know that the movie is clear what we're supposed to think about that even though it is clear there, there's just a lot of mixed horny. signals throughout the movie about a lot of things yeah i mean i think that's true i think for me by bringing up the mayor, Doug, I think you're highlighting for me the the place where the movie is the most not working as far as mixed signals. Like, I think the script is all around an issue, but the place where the mixed signals are the biggest problem is the mayor, for me. It's, it's like, if I understood what the feeling of the movie was about the mayor, then maybe I could figure out where the rest of the movie was kind of going. But yeah. I'm just confused by that character in the sense of what the movie wants me to think about the character, let alone that in, in the context of she just tried to kill them, you know? Or if it, not to be me and like tie this into like one of my hyper fixations, but if it were a Fassbender film, sure. And you would know that the end is like a cynical statement on human nature and how we're locked into certain behaviors when we exist in this pressure cooker, capitalistic society where like money is the most important thing. But it's like, I, I just find I have a difficult <clears throat> difficulty getting to grips with like what exactly is trying they're trying to convey with how this movie ends. And a lot of that does have to do with the mayor. And I, I don't know it. I, I basically I like I think Liam summed it up for me really well that like the, the, the mayor character is just so like it's hard to get a, a, a solid read on him. So we should say what his plan is, by the way, in the movie. It's revealed oh. that he is he is employing a group of criminals to steal from rich people who are, in this case, attending an orgy where everyone is dressed as animals, using the money from that to build low-income housing, right? So the idea is, you know, that we made that joke and they say it in the movie straight up that he considers himself like a modern-day Robin Hood. Frankly, maybe that is kind of morally ambiguous. Or cool. <laughs> or cool. I mean, it is pretty cool. I wish the movie was was honestly... I wish the movie would have just come down straight up and say, you know what? You got to give it to him. <laughs> yeah. He can't get taxes out of him, so he might as well just steal it straight out. I mean, I kind of think but, that's that's a better way to take it on, honestly. But Adriana, yeah. sorry, yes. you were going to say something. Well, I think I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, I was going to say, yeah, either I think it would have worked more for me if they really committed to that idea 
or if in the end we we see like okay the mayor's a piece of shit there th- there should be consequences but it the way it wraps up so neatly yeah it like it's just i don't know i'm having a hard time like articulating well okay so with eating raul it's a movie in which if you aren't paying attention then you are just sympathetic with these two f- murderers who <laughs> Um, you know, uh, turn out to be cannibals as well. And then when they win in the end, it's like, man, what a dark thing. But if you're paying attention, then you realize the caricature of all the gross people around them is really about how uptight and psychotic they are. And these other people who are made into these silly caricatures are actually like the real people that we should be identifying with instead of these psycho leftovers from the 50s. Uh, And in this movie... Uh, nothing is to me as clear as that. Uh, and in fact, like if the mayor had been a mystery, right. And we were continuing to get this idea that there was a nefarious person behind this whole thing, even as Nancy Allen is cares about this mayor. And then the big reveal is that the mayor is the bad guy, but actually he's the bad guy for all these good reasons. And then they decide, Oh, okay. Well then maybe we're on your side. Then like, that may be a little simplistic, right? But at least it's a clear, this is what the movie's about. The way it works out, it's like, uh, okay, so I guess it's bad that he does this, or it's good The fact that, that he, he tries to this. kill them is really the, the thing. Yeah, right? well, mean, that's, and, the, that's the turning point. The fact that he straight, not only tries to murder them, but murder, murder, tries to murder them in such a convoluted, bizarre way, having them, you know, he's in a plane with them, he jumps out with the parachute and leaves them to crash in the plane. It's just like, well, you can't really come back from that, and then the movie comes back from that. <laughs> well, and I think, and it, it's not it, even like in a in like a way that feels like it's winking at the audience. It's just what happens. The fact that they don't panic at all when they're in a plane that they can't fly that is meant to crash. It also yes. kind of undermines the movie pretty significantly. And then they have just, like they're... a Sully moment where he like lands the plane in the in the It's so ridiculous. But they start think, making out. <laughs> I think the problem. Oh, yeah. I think the problem also starts a little before that, only in that. The movie makes a decision that I think is a good decision, but then it ends up not working with the rest of the movie, which is it shows us that the opposition candidate is bad. He's a bad dude, right? Yes. But then the movie's like, but you know that that Democrat who helps people, he's even worse. Look at him. Right. He's just doing he's playing the game for votes. It's just his game is how do I help people in such a way that it helps me? And how do I throw other people under the bus so I can stay in power? And that's a that's a fun and very accurate description <laughs> of modern politics. But it doesn't really matter for the rest of the movie. And that's the problem for me is that, like, it feels like a detail you do just because it's like, uh, look at this. I You know, both sides have problems. All right, let's just keep going here with our fun comedy. And I, I kind of wish it was more evident why that detail mattered but like after a certain point the opposition doesn't matter right that guy just goes away we see him that he's you know got the mayor's current assistant working for him that's that's a big scene in the bar right and then it's revealed that his lady friend is calling the mayor to like inform on him and then he just goes away and it other than the general idea that there is an election that character doesn't matter for the entire rest of the movie feels weird it feels like that could have been 
uh, a more interesting way for the film to go to talk about yeah. lesser of two evils, maybe. Again, that sounds serious. There are silly ways to take on these serious topics. And I think the movie does that to some extent, but it's not clear that anyone's thinking about, okay, what, what, what's, our, what, what's the point in the end? And there are plenty of silly comedies that have moments like this movie that are utterly fucking ridiculous that there is no point. We're just having fun here. Sure, right. But there's too much meat. There's too much meat in the stew for me to think this doesn't matter, right? There's too much politics for me to say, ah, we're just fucking around here. Who cares? Like, that's clearly not what's going on either. It also isn't really about journalism, even though the movie is about journalists, right? right? And that's a weird thing as well. It seems to be set up, even with the title, that it's going to be about Nancy Allen as a journalist. I mean, there's not even a scene in a newsroom at all, right? It's just her meeting with her boss. But the weirdest thing, and it was just something I was thinking about as you were talking, Liam, is this movie ends with her... Getting, you know, taking control over the tabloid, she's going to turn it into a legitimate uh, newspaper that she's going to run and work for. But in order to do that, she has to ignore the biggest story that there could ever be, which is that the mayor is trying to kill people, right? She can't mention it. She she has to ignore this huge story, which yeah. almost feels like it would be a commentary on journalism, but this movie kind of tends to stay away from that. It, yeah, it just does not go in that direction. And also, Doug, this touches on, like, the issue that I have with her character, which is for like most of the film, um, Lois, Nancy Allen's character, she is someone who is very driven and has a very strong sense of who she is and what her goals are. Uh, and, 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 you know, she wants to restore her father's former paper or yeah, she, she wants to restore this paper to its former glory when her father was, um, running it and you know she has this desire to do more meaningful work you know to do hard-hitting investigative journalistic pieces mm-hmm. and that's that's her big focus that's her her major motivation for most of the film and then <clears throat> in like the the final kind of like thir- 30 minutes or so it's like a switch flips and suddenly it like her character arc just becomes about men. Yeah. And, you know, she's like Gaga over the mayor, uh, the mayor all of a sudden. And then there's this sort of, will they, won't they thing with David Naughton's character, even though Nancy Allen and David Naughton, as we've already established, have zero chemistry. And I just cannot buy that she would be into this man. But <clears throat> for the, for most of the rest of the movie, like that's what her character is all about all of a sudden. Uh, and then, of course, at the end, you know, you, like as you mentioned, like she gets control of this newspaper, but that's like an afterthought when that was like her her whole thing for most of the film. Yeah. So I don't understand what the thinking was, uh, you know, when they were writing this character and why they chose to take her in the direction that it did. But it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the frog babies, I think, is something we should uh, have gotten more information. <laughs> yeah, the movie, the movie seems to think those frog babies are the funniest thing that has ever been. Yeah, that's conceived. <laughs> okay, but this is something else. This is a this is a small note, but I want to just mention it. Um, in a lot of movies in which there are tabloids, right? People conflate like the Sun with the Weekly World News. Absolutely, right? And that's 
not fair and also not helpful, right? Like the problem with a lot of these other magazines is not that they don't fictionalize, but it's that they fictionalize often about real people. They take one right. little bit of actual information and they create a whole narrative and it's about And like real in very people. grotesque and invasive ways. Yeah. yeah. Weekly World News, no one since I was old enough to read I knew that that was bullshit. Everyone knows yeah. it's bullshit. And like there's we, no bad baby. Like, no, yeah. like all of that stuff is is silly and awful. And Weekly World News, I'm sure there's been examples of them trying to dip their toes into let's shit on a real celebrity, but that doesn't sell papers. The fucking yeah, bad baby. Yeah, it's usually like papers. Hillary Clinton meets Sasquatch, that sort of thing. Right? I mean, stuff that is as. It's or funny. When it's Anna almost Nicole like, Smith was talking about having sex with a ghost, that, that was like. Yeah. <laughs> I used to re- read the Weekly World News all the time, but it was as, oh, this is so wild and funny. Like, the idea of people are writing articles about such ridiculous things. It's almost like the onion with no satirical edge, right? Right. And, that, and that's the thing. Like, I, It's not a big deal, right? I shouldn't care. But since I was a kid, I've noticed that movies conflate all of those mag, all those like you know, uh, fake newspapers that are—I don't even know if they are anymore—but they were when I was a kid, available in grocery stores on your way out. They'd conflate all those stories together. But since I was a kid, I knew that one of these things is not like the others, right? Like talking about uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie's adopted children and what their scars are from them is a different story than Sasquatch fucks Bat Boy. Like that's yeah. not right. And to compare the two is fun for comedic purposes. But it ignores the fact that sometimes these papers that seem also ridiculous do actually hurt people. There's actual consequences for this shit and have done some crazy shit. I mean, remember the whole scandal when Rupert Murdoch had like had his reporters hack the phones of all these people? I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. Pierce Morgan. Yeah. Yeah, or, so they, but, or look but at like they, Princess Diana, what yes, you know, the way she was hounded 100%. by paparazzi. They they literally chased her to an early grave. But so. if Nancy Allen worked for a, a believable tabloid, then she would be completely irredeemable like a Pierce Morgan is. Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, her character, as is written, should want that fucking newspaper to be shut down. Oh, like, if, why doesn't, if she's going to change the name anyway, why doesn't she just allow the mayor to shut it down and then she can just start a paper with the same fucking name or the name that she changed it to and then have it not be? Uh, I mean, if people enjoy that paper that she was working for as a shitty tabloid, they're going to be really confused when it just starts coming out with a slightly different name with completely different style of news. Yeah. I mean, I guess her sentimental feelings for like, you know, her father's paper means that like she she feels like she has to it has to be that paper. <laughs> I mean, but, I guess so. I mean, it, it... I just took it, Doug, as mm-hmm. the whole beginning of the movie. I took as evidence that I should not be taking anything in this movie as reality. Because it's all so over the top. Because we go from that to the fucking milk truck behind the convertible, then to the office of this caricature editor who's just like, bring me more frog babies while he eats a whole fucking (laughs) chicken. Which, by the way, looks like it's barely cooked. Like, it looks like he's eating raw chicken. I think it's a boiled chicken. Why the fuck would he be eating? It's so gross. (laughs) It's the grossest shit, right? So, like, every part of that. And then, like... I think this is the thing, Adriana, where I struggle with this character because I felt like the movie was telling me that this was all heightened reality. This was all maybe camp or something like this was all over the top. I didn't take any of her motivations of her seriously. Like when she's saying, like, I want to be this uh, reporter because of my dad. I was, I was like, well, none of this is real because nothing's real right now. And then 
the movie got, again, not serious, but it got a little more real over time. And I felt like I was supposed to start taking her motivation seriously. And I thought, well, now I'm fucking confused. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's silly and fun and what is like, you know, again, not serious, but like representing an actual reality we could live in yeah because and I then just, it pivots to ridiculous again yeah oh 100 it goes back and forth like uh, and then i started to think like well maybe some of the political commentary of it is also just silly but then like but then it's, it's like, what political real. commentary because it's so confused like like right. it's, it's really well, hard I, to I, th- I think the idea where he's pinpoint, saying like what this movie is saying well I, there's a certain point at which he's talking about the housing complex to her as just another way to get votes. Like, this is a thing. And he's talking about the porn raids as, like, not morally good or bad, but how are the young voters going to respond to my porno raids, right? And there's a cynical view of that, which is very accurate, but still cynical, about this is how politicians really are, that nothing is made, uh, no policy is made out of actual ideas to help people. It's all about how it's going to play to a certain base for your votes. And I thought like, yeah, okay, that's fair. But that seems more rooted in a real world than, uh, you know, we're, we're under the Brooklyn bridge and there are bikini babes with machine guns shooting at this guy. And I'm trying to interview him. That feels more ridiculous. That feels like we're in fucking Kentucky fried movie or some shit. So like, I don't understand how I'm supposed to meld these things in a way, unless none of it matters. And then if none of it matters, then I, then, I mean, this is just me and me, myself being a little more cynical. If we're in a f- space where nothing really matters and all these ideas are just being thrown out there as part of this story, then I want this movie to be more fucking funny, right? Like, it's yeah. it's just not yeah. funny enough to justify this level of, ah, who gives a fuck? We'll do whatever, which is how it comes across. Not in every moment, but in a lot of this movie, it, it, it all feels very just kind of like we're just trying whatever and it doesn't feel as focused as again a very silly movie in its own way eating raul still felt like it knew what it was about and it knew what it was doing you know you know the politics of this movie really feel very much of the 1980s which is kind of odd because the script was written before eating raul in the 1970s i would love to read the original script and one and see if maybe if it's a little more focused and maybe the fact that it was Coming out in the 1980s is one, you know, that is, it influenced the script in a way that made it less focused. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I could see that. All right. Well, we should probably talk about the big musical number. It <laughs> takes up way too much time in this film. That's fair. That's um, fair. So there is, oh, <clears throat> I believe, Doug, you mentioned this earlier in the episode about, you, you know, describing that scene in the club called the, uh, I believe it's called the Bestiary. Um, and, so there's a, a song in the film called You Bring Out the Beast in Me that was written by Paul Bertel and John Meyer. And in the film, it's performed by Nancy Allen and David Naughton. And the, the, way, the, the way it comes about is they have to get gain access to this exclusive club, the Beastiary, um, because her boss at the tabloid tasks her with doing a piece on, you know, whatever like rich weirdos show up to this like orgy. And so to get in, they lie and say that they were our performers who were hired by one of the, uh, the patrons of the club. And so they, they, um, they managed to get in there and, and do this like musical number before, um, you know, the, the manager of the club realizes that they, 
are bullshitters. But this song, I found the demo very entertaining. The yeah. demo, there. so there's a demo version on YouTube. Uh, and Doug, like, you can put the link Oh, no, in the we'll definitely, notes. we'll play it as the outro song of the episode. Okay, By the way, the key, the key aspect of this is that all the people in the club are dressed in animal costumes. Oh, and right, so yeah. are, are the leads. I mean, that that's key. Also, in the context of the movie, this is a song that already exists that they're remembering and then performing in front of people. Though I don't know if that's important at all. But it, the 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 fact that it, it fits perfectly because it's animal themed into the, the right. club is just, you know, just a, a happy, uh, not an accident, but something they decide to do. Right. So the, the demo is very fun and it's performed by Bartel and Meyer. Um, and, but Nancy Allen uh, and David Naughton perform it in the movie. And it's like, I, uh, it's, uh, it's a struggle to, uh, get through that, that segment of the film for me anyway. I don't see how this movie is a tribute to musicals, even with that. For one thing, it's I not don't sh- either. It, 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 I mean, look, the quality of the song, it doesn't really matter necessarily, It, but the there's nothing to the. Like it's not shot in a particularly um, uh, interesting way. It's just two people no. on a stage singing a song. It feels more like something like a, out of a Bob Hope Bing Crosby movie, where it's just like hey, we're just rolling along, right? I mean, there's they dance briefly, but it's not like a huge widescreen musical number in the midst of this. It's just them obviously, you know, treading water, trying to not get caught. Frankly, the fact that they, they, they decided to go in that direction, pretending that they were entertainers without having a plan of how they were going to entertain, is hard to kind of understand in the context of the movie. Why didn't they just sneak in? Why did they... <laughs> the fact that they also felt as entertainers that they had to be dressed as animals. I mean, this is obviously something Paul Bartel thought was very funny because they used that image of them in the animal costumes in all the publicity photos and on right. the poster art. But Nancy Allen and David Naughton just wearing animal costumes? That is not... Just, you know, as as a concept funny to me. It just isn't. No. And also, again, there's no there's no chemistry between the two weeds. So that that makes it all the more like dull to to have to sit through. And if you listen to that demo, like Bartel and Meyer have much more chemistry. Absolutely. They do. Like, I I would have rather watched them. It might have been it might be that we're dulled a little bit like the concept of them going to a club where people wear animal costumes and fuck each other. Must have seemed very, very wild in 1984, but literally, it's something that we hear about and have thought about for the past, you know, ten years, all yeah. the time. You can't look anywhere without having some sort of concept of people doing that exact thing. It's just part of our social fabric, let's say. Um, so maybe I don't know if if there was a culture of even people doing that back then. I imagine there was, but I don't know. Think that this is necessarily relating to it. I think it was just like, what is the most wild thing that rich you know, uh, people who who get their kicks in the wildest way possible. What could they be doing? And this is what he came up with. It's just that maybe from 2023, it just seems, if not tame, that at least not nearly as wild as it did in 1984. Yeah. Well, and also, like, we're more told that it's, like, really wild and crazy. But, like, what we actually see is pretty tame. Yeah, no kidding. It's just people sitting <laughs> And watching people sing and dance is terrible musical. <laughs> and I mean, there's one there's one scene where the camera is like tracking, and we and we see glimpses of like things going on in the club, and it's basically like a bunch of people in what looks like like bikinis and and just like gyrating. Yeah, well, also on the dance there, floor, and that's it. 
also very in shape people, thus ruining the idea that these are the <laughs> right. elite of New York who are fucking each other. Yeah. It looks more like the rich people are watching hot people fuck. Like that this right. orgy is actually about <laughs> other people orgying and you just sort of like watching from behind glass or some shit. It's just, it's really, and I say glass, there's actually like a chain link fence thing, which is also strange, like almost like, well, that's the activity area and then this is the observers area maybe it's the whole thing felt a little weird to me and and i remember thinking like the first couple shots i'm like yeah hot people okay but after a while it's just a lot of gyrating hot people i thought where are all these fucking rich assholes like where are they supposed to be like am i supposed to think the mayor is in there in one of these fucking loincloths because nah dog it also makes no sense that their faces are not covered the fact that you can right. see yeah. their faces yeah, yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. time, it's like, what are you doing here? Especially the leads. I, I mean, I get it how it's like, oh, you can't cover Nancy Allen's face. She's the star of them. It's like, you're supposed to, like, the whole point of something like this is that you don't know who the people are. There they are with their faces uncovered. You know, one of my pet peeves in movies is, like, bad depictions of gay bars. <laughs> and, like, this is kind of in the same vein of just, like, sex clubs don't look like this. <laughs> like, especially this kind of club, but... I mean, well, granted, like, I have not gone to, like, a rich person orgy, so, you know, I can't speak from a position of authority about that, but, I mean. It it feels, I mean, it feels like a, a more toned down version of the orgy scene from Eating Raul, but so toned down, maybe because it's meant for a mainstream audience, that it feels practically, like, it has no edge to it whatsoever. It's completely, all the no. edges have been rounded off. And and just like that scene in Eating Raul just seems more believable. Like I can yeah. believe that these people are real and that they're there. Uh, You're right. What this is missing is the real Don Steele to come in and yeah, one hundred percent. Yes, we cracked it. We cracked the case. Like that's the missing X factor that this movie needed. I think we should at least all say one thing because we've been so negative about this movie so far. We should all say one it's thing. It's not just us. Like. I want to say that if you go on the letterbox page, Alan Arkish logged us as like a two star review and was like, I love Paul, but this is his worst movie. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Which yeah, this... I don't know if I agree because I think there's one that comes after this that's pretty dire. <laughs> well, we'll, but... we'll find out about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, look, this movie is, was not well received, it did not do well financially. It is odd to know, uh, reading in Paul Bartel's interviews, that he really liked it. He thought it was yeah. a success. and that He considered just, it among his best work. Just knowing that he liked it made me want to, like, re- like I've, ever since watching it, I've just been thinking about it constantly. It's like, what am I missing about this that Paul Bartel would have liked so much? And I just can't figure it out. But maybe that's why it would be useful for us to all say something that we like about the movie. Because, again, it isn't... It isn't just when I watched it, I was not just watching it like, oh, God, I wish this was over. It just felt like a not very funny comedy, which that's kind of weird. It, it For a movie from Paul Bartel, it, the fact that you're not chewing on more when you're watching it, it, it I, I guess what I really took away from it is I don't want to see Paul, Bar- Paul Bartel make mainstream comedies. That doesn't sound like a good time to me. Yeah. And also to your point about like what it was in this movie that he liked so much, I don't know, like this is just my impression, but I think part of it is probably just that it came from a personal place and he was trying to like draw from his lo- deep love of those classic Hollywood films. So just that it was coming from this place of affection. So I think he felt in really invested in it. Um, but I, I mean that I, that's just me speculating. Like I don't, I, and maybe he had a good time making it. I mean, I guess that could be a big <clears throat> yeah. part of it as well. 
So Liam, did you like anything about this movie? Mm-hmm. I think I I think I already mentioned this, but I want to make sure I say it uh, exactly, which is uh, Cork Hubert as Odo. Mm-hmm. Love love that love 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 him. He's a little yeah. person who works as an assistant, basically, to Nancy Allen. He, he yeah, works with he's, her, he's and like, obviously, he also pines for her. And yeah. he has more chemistry with her than David Naughton. He really does. That's the thing about it, right? And the movie kind of treats the idea of her and him getting together as like it would be a joke, as opposed to something right. that could actually happen, which is not something I particularly care for. That no. kind of that, that aspect did kind of bum me out, but I do think that um, that actor he was ride or die for her, like. Yeah. It just felt like he was more, I mean, I hate to say it, I found him more exciting than I did David Naughton or some of the other, like, characters who are on screen a lot more. Like, when he's in it, I just, I'm more invested in him a little bit. So, I don't know, I it's maybe a weird example for some people, but to me it was like, okay, I get this guy. Also... The idea, just the just the concept of his character, not in his relationship even with the Nancy Allen character, but in the idea that like we need a fucking wagon to do journalism in. So ra- so rather than just own a van, we're gonna drag that wagon <laughs> behind a fucking convertible that's like a two seat convert. It's a mini convertible. That that uh, again, the movie that I think that belongs in, like the the echoes of the movie that I think this movie should be. The running fucking bikini uh, assassins, him driving a convertible with a milk truck van or a cart, a wood cart behind it. And then the ending, which feels like the ending to a different movie. Uh, those things were like hints of the movie I kind of wish this was, which was something a bit more insane than what it is. I like the idea that they think that being in a milk cart is no somehow less conspicuous than, yeah. than, like you said, just being in a van. <laughs> Well, again, yeah. like if you like, like there with are a st- mobile bl- dark room in the back. Of yeah, this. like that. There are still wood milk trucks, like milk <laughs> carts that doesn't exist, and that if you had a wood milk cart, you would attach it to a really nice mini convertible. Like that doesn't make any sense either. But we're just going with that. That stuff is more fun to me. That I wish there was more of that in the movie. Liam, you took what I, I was going. I was going to say Cork Hubbard was the thing that I liked about this movie, and then the other performance i really like in this movie i think is what doug wants to say so yeah <laughs> um, i'll just i'll just note that like i do think the idea of a milk cart that is actually a mobile dark room is pretty cool yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. i mean adrian is hitting at it there is a, a sequence in this where our leads nancy allen david nunn they encounter a character named and forgive me for saying this senor waparico played by the late great Jesus barry denon and he is this <clears throat> pimp caricature he's so over the top he feels like he walks right he rob walked in right from eating raul right i mean he feels he's the most paul bartell character in, yes. that that is in this movie and he's so funny even though he is playing this terrible racial stereotype and has that awful name, but he's so funny in a brief moment, especially when they he's like they ask him how he picks up women to to then uh, sell, I suppose, and he goes out to a bar and he tries to uh, to to engage with these women who completely reject him entirely, and it's. I find that stuff so funny. I wish this movie was entirely about him instead of their characters <laughs> instead, even though it probably would have aged even worse if that was the case. But Doug. he brought so much energy to a movie that just does not have a lot of energy. 
Hey, you're so racist, Doug. I know it. Hey, look. The <laughs> only reason I didn't actually say uh, senior, uh, uh, what his name is, yeah. is because I just wanted to continue this idea that Doug is secretly racist. That's the subtext of all the podcasts on Cinema Smorgasbord is that Doug plays a part, but he's secretly racist, and that's why he loves Liam. Passively, very I, character. passively, I benefit from white privilege every single day. So how could I not be racist? Oh, that's fair. That's fair, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. And I hate to say it because it is such, I mean, it's literally like, let's take every one of the worst stereotypes about Puerto Rican and Italian people and smush them together in one character and then let everybody know what it is with the last name. So they really know. know what the fuck we're doing here, but it is played even if people are deeply offended by the character it's a it's, racist portmanteau yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's literally a racist portmanteau but it's one of the few moments that really comes alive in the fucking movie and i hate to admit it that like uh, barry denon kills it man like again yeah, the character really, really is a bummer but uh, and to be fair not, not all the humor is itself racist even if the character is racist there is other sources of comedy with the character because he's a dope right he's like this really confident jerk (laughs) yeah yeah so it's it's not like he has no game at all none whatsoever (laughs) and he has all this fancy expensive shit that is terrible Right, like everything in his apartment, which it's very tacky. Yeah, it all gets stolen, and he's so sad. It's all bad things, right? And the best is when he's trying to list all his nice things that were stolen, and he's like, <laughs> you know, he's naming like his piece of art and his like toaster oven. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just all for him, all symbols of wealth. None of them mean anything in and of themselves, or just symbols of his supposed, a- you know, affluence. I, all of that is hilarious, but also this is the most cringe moment I've yes. seen in a while. It's yeah. just really like, oh shit, what is his name? It, it fucking, it, it was crazy. It's a crazy moment. It's funny yeah, because, you know, like... oh, sorry, I was just going to say quickly that, you know, Eating Raul de- is defined by its embrace of bad taste. And that's a character that fits into that. But this movie isn't really about bad taste. So it's weird that he shows up in this movie. Yes. Doug, you, I was literally going to make the same point you did. Oh. So I have nothing to say anymore. I was going <laughs> to bring up the fa- the character of Raul. And how there are kind of elements of what's going on with it, with Barry Denon's character, but it just works so much more in the context of the film that it's like not so offensive. Mm-hmm. And also, I like I think Robert Beltran is Mexican American, so I think we've covered most of the things in this movie that are worth discussing. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you guys really want to discuss? that you think we should acknowledge? I mean, I wish we could... I wish Paul Bartel was still with us. I say this all the time on the podcast because this is the movie that we've covered so far that I'd most like to hear him talk about. Like, there isn't a lot of contemporary interviews that we've been able to find about him talking about... You know, he obviously mentioned his passion for the material that inspired this movie, even though I don't see a lot of it in the final product. But the fact that he liked it so much just makes me... It's like... I, I feel like if, if I was to have a conversation with him and he could explain the stuff about this movie that he likes so much, that it would kind of unlock something and maybe I'd be able to appreciate it on a different level. But the product that we have, the film that exists out there, is a real failure. And it's a really kind of strange failure. And it also is a little bit depressing to think about because Eating Raul was this kind of uh, underground success and it built 
uh, Paul Bartella into somebody who could get a you know more expensive movie made with real stars. And this was him shooting his shot. And unfortunately, the result was not something. It isn't even like one of those fascinating failures that sometimes you get with that after a uh, after a success. It's it's really just kind of a depressing bad comedy. The fact that this came that came right off the heels of eating Raul, it just really throws all of the flaws of this film into stark contrast mm-hmm. with what came before. And it's like impossible not to compare the two. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a shame, but fortunately our next episode will be focusing on a really fun film that I've been really looking forward to discussing ever since we first conceived of this project. Uh, and it's a film that came out the same year as not for publication in 1984. And it is lust in the dust starring None other than the great Divine and Tab Hunter. I think I may have mentioned I may have mentioned this in a, another episode, but this was the first Paul Bartel movie I ever saw. And uh, oh, Lesson the Dust was. Oh, absolutely! I saw it oh, wow. on VHS, probably in right nineteen eighty six, nineteen eighty seven. My family rented it. Uh, coming at this movie when you have no context for who Divine is, who Tab Hunter is, who Paul Bartel is. It was a very strange experience for a child, <laughs> which is what I was at that I love time. That family. Did you watch it as a family? I think we did. We thought it was going to be just this That's kind of fantastic. wacky comedy, right? I mean, it looks like it from the cover. It's like a Western comedy. Uh, I haven't seen it in many years at this point, but this is one of the movies I most have been excited to revisit, it. especially with Divine's involvement and how we've already talked about the kind of uh, uh, intersection between... John Waters and Paul Bartel at this point. This, this yeah. to me feels like the and you know and Tab Hunter as well, of course, coming off of Polyester. This feels like the 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 apex of that meeting. We should mention, by the way, that not for publication is available on Blu-ray via Kino. <laughs> uh, I I you know we I don't have a copy of this Blu-ray, unfortunately. I this is one of the things that I came out of the movie thinking is that I got to hear that there's a commentary on it by Alan Arkush. And Daniel Kremer, and I really want to check out that commentary to hear yeah, me some too. some more kind of detailed thoughts about it. I think it's wild that not for publication made it to Blu-ray before private parts. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which just recently there there was an announcement that I I believe it, it's Kino is going to be putting out private parts on Blu-ray this summer. Cool. I obviously highly recommend it to anyone listening to this podcast. I know that that's true because I already got hit with a pre-order ad for it of all places on Amazon. And I was like, I don't understand why Amazon is hitting me up to pre-order private parts other than their algorithm just knows me too well, you know, or they've been spying on me or something. But I just went on there for something totally unrelated. And it was like, the first thing that came up was like, pre-order for private parts Blu-ray. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? (laughs) It was very strange. I don't think I've ever even seen a pre-order up on Amazon, but it was there, and it was for the Kino release. It's very strange. So before we all sign off, um, Doug, where can our listeners find you on social media? Well, you can find me specifically on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E, 
why. And if you want to check out the entire archive of Bartell Me Something Good, you can always find that over at cinemasmorgasbord.com, where we also have podcasts devoted to such diverse topics as the career of Carol Kane, Jackie Chan, Alejandro Jodorowsky, George Kennedy, and so much more. That's over at cinemasmorgasbord.com or on Twitter at cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. But you can always find the latest episode of Bartell Me Something Good and our other Cinema Smorgasbord podcasts over at cinepunks.com, which also has a lot of other great podcasts and writing on it. You can find that at Cinepunks on most of the social media that you would frequent, including Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Excellent plugging, Doug. Very comprehensive. I do Liam. it a lot. <laughs> yeah. You've got it down. Liam, where can our listeners find you? I mean, obviously people can find me, you know, all up in it and all the Cinepunk stuff. But if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. But, you know, I'm often posting for Cinepunk stuff as well. Uh, And, you know, if you have the the time and the energy, check out my project uh, that I do with a friend of the show, Justin Miller, Rough Cut Fan Club, where we do lots of fun shirts and uh, where I'm currently trying to petition him to do a lust in the dust design so we'll see what happens <laughs> man that would be great like cross promotion for our show <laughs> i think it'd be sick but who knows if he'll go for it we'll see and you can find me on twitter at eadxbb um until next time thank you for joining us on Bartell me something good um go go listen to some of the other cinema smorgasbord shows and uh we'll see you next time well not literally but Bye. See ya. You're the cat's meow. Meow. I mean, you're neater than a cheetah. You are the feline to whom I'd make a beeline immediately. Cause, baby, you bring out the beast in me. You're the cock of the walk. You're just as legal as an eagle, a pterodactyl, with whom I could get tactile, believe you me. Cause baby, you bring out the beast in me. When it comes to the animal urge, no one can equal mine. For with you, the urge to merge is working overtime. Got me frisky as a pup. You got me lower than a boa. You're an opossum with whom my love could blossom in any tree. Cause baby, you bring out the beast.